Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Scared money. Nothing personal. Word of the day. It's Monday, November 29th, 2021. Scared money don't make no money. You've heard that expression. You've heard you've got to risk it to get the biscuit. You heard that expression, right? I want to take you inside right now on a random Monday morning. And it's random because it's the day after Thanksgiving break. Although we didn't take a break on Friday, of course, Coca, because why would we? But in baseball, Thanksgiving is generally a time where you don't go to the office. You shut it down Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You come back Monday. You start preparing for the winter meetings, which are generally the first week of December. You're lining up travel. You're making sure that your roster of people you're bringing to the winter meetings is all set. You're making sure the suite's going to be full of food. You're making some dinner reservations. You're making some other reservations. You're setting up your board, the supplies that have to be shipped by the traveling secretary into the suite into the winter meetings, both food supplies and writing supplies and boards and markers, etc. You're lining up meetings already, who you're going to see, which free agents, which agents, which teams you want to meet with during the winter meetings. That's what Monday's about on the baseball side after Thanksgiving. On the business side, you come into the office. On a Monday, you start making calls to corporate sponsors for their renewals for the following season. You're getting your, your budgets pretty finalized, and now you're getting into sales mode. You're getting into marketing mode. So it's sort of the beginning because this is a stretch where you only have reasonably by my math, always over the years, you have three weeks until people start getting Christmas fever. Christmas fever, by the way, happy Hanukkah, everyone. Tonight will be the second night of eight nights of Hanukkah. That's a lot of oil. So once Christmas time comes, baseball shuts down, and I don't mean a lock, lockout. They shut down for the last two weeks of December, and then once that happens, you're January 1, and that's when the body starts realizing Spring training is six weeks away. So that's what today should be, but not this year. This year, we have a collective bargaining agreement negotiation going on in Major League Baseball, and the current collective bargaining agreement that's been around for five years ends Wednesday at 11.59 p.m. That's Wednesday, December 1st, this Wednesday, two days from now. All sorts of talk that there's going to be a lockout. We said on nothing personal, there's definitely going to be a lockout because there will not be an agreement that will be done by December 1st. Therefore, procedurally speaking, the owners will lock out the players, which means you sort of put a padlock, I guess, on your, on your uh, 
spring training fences, you put a padlock on your clubhouse, and you don't allow any players in to do anything. But then there were rumblings. Are players going to want to sign before December 1st? And if they do, what's making them want to sign? And the answer is that there is a feeling by players, what they try to do is they think about owners and when is the perfect time to get the most money from owners. And often it's right before spring training is gonna start. Often it's right at the beginning of free agency. So the two extremes where owners say, I wanna be the first to market. I wanna get the players I want when I wanna get them. Or at the end, owners say, we're going to spring training. I'm looking at my board. I'm looking at my team. And I'm not in any way happy with my team. So I'm going to get a bunch of players now. But there were these rumblings that owners were going to have the desire to get their rosters in place before a lockout. Which, of course, would obviate the power, the need for a lockout. Owners are doing business as usual, is what they've said. You heard all the GMs say it, you heard all the owners say it. There's nothing business as usual about the fact that in the last 24 hours over this weekend, every two minutes, breaking news, breaking news, this guy signs, that guy signs, this guy's about to sign. They're all signing before December 1st. And they've got to sign by today because you have to do a physical And you can't do a physical once there's a lockout and physicals take a day. The player's got to fly to the city. Then the player's got to get an MRI. They've got to go see the doctor. Then you've got to get the results, the blood, the urine, et cetera. And then you, the contract becomes firm. And then that's that. The player's yours. What is the rush? Owners are sitting there having their Thanksgiving dinner and all it takes is one. So Jose Berrio signs with the Jays for $131 million over seven years. That's an extension, not a free agent signing. But then there's little nuggets. Corey Seager wants to sign. A Boris client before December 1st. Max Scherzer wants to sign. A Boris client on the executive council before December 1st. Marcus Simeon does sign with the Texas Rangers. $175 million over seven years before December 1st. A word to the wise, when Scott Boris wants to sign his players this early, it means the players are getting more years and more money. So scared money for me is the word of the day because I agree conceptually with the business concept. Scared money don't make no money. You've got to spend. But the corollary to that, scared money don't make no money. So if you're going to spend the money, don't spend it stupidly. And you may think as a former team president that I think every contract is a bad contract. And that's based on experience of having signed a lot of bad contracts and a lot of good contracts. And how do I measure these contracts? As a fan, you measure contracts today. You get the headline. You get the press conference. You get to see what your potential starting lineup is, what your rotation is. You have the hope and the excitement. And that is a huge component of you with your buying decisions. I like my team. My owner is spending money. I'm going to buy season tickets. You go call on a sponsor. You say, hey, look, we're spending. We're all in. We're ready to win. 
and you do that all. You strike while the iron's hot. You take photos. You put them on the cover of the media guide, the program. You put a big banner outside the ballpark. You start setting up your marketing, everything about the new players. Today, the day that you sign a player, it's like when you buy a boat or buy a car. There's no greater feeling than driving that car or selling that boat for the first time. I've never owned a boat, but that's what I hear. And then the value of the boat or the car decreases every second thereafter. So my issue with the money that's being spent, and we're going to go through a few specifics, is not that teams are spending money because there's payroll capacity. Look at the Texas Rangers, just as a side note. The Rangers are signing Marcus Simeon. They signed Cole Calhoun for $5 million. They signed John Gray, who is a pitcher with a 4.7 ERA in Colorado. So let's say you take a runaway, but he's in the National League, so you only take half a runaway, really. So a $4.2 million pitcher gets four years, $56 million. And you're thinking $14 million a year, not bad. That's what pitchers seem to be going for these days. No problem. And you're thinking, wow, the Rangers are finally doing it. They're spending. But you got to look closer at their team and the amount of guaranteed money they had in 2022. And it was in the 20s. So really what they're doing is filling out a roster. And when you fill out a roster with free agents, it is super difficult to make that roster a winning roster. But now the Rangers are not done. They may sign Seager. All the Yankee fans are all nervous. So when owners spend money to get to a payroll of 110 or 140 or 160, is it the excitement of players changing teams? Is it the excitement of the hope? That's what we always thought inside baseball. The irony of what's happened in the last couple of days is that it is MLB's dream scenario the owner's dream scenario, because they're forgetting the fact that they're overpaying in years and probably annual value. They were able to make news during the off season in a frenzied way, the way NBA free agency is on a Sunday when the NFL is playing, on a Sunday when there's coaching moves in college football and major college football, and everybody everywhere is talking about all the moves being made in baseball. We would sit around and think about ways to do this. How do you incentivize this type of activity? And we knew there's only one way. Deadlines. The reason why the MLB trade deadline can be so exciting and is so exciting is it's a deadline. Teams know they've got to get it done prior to that moment because once that deadline passes, that's it. That's your roster. What deadline exactly is December 1st. I'm open to all suggestions of what owners are thinking because God knows GMs are not helping their owners stay calm. What deadline is the first? It's the collective bargaining agreement deadline. That's it. It's not your rosters have to be set for the regular season by December 1st, 1159. It's not players turning into pumpkins. It's not an automatic change. Wait. Oh, now I know what owners are thinking. It is a deadline 
because they get to sign players under the old collective bargaining rules. And what happens if the next collective bargaining agreement, which is being negotiated now and will be signed before the start of next season, says, for example, you can't do seven-year contracts. They have to be six or eight. Not going to happen. You can't sign a player for over $200 million. Not going to happen. You can't have an average annual value of over 40. Don't worry, Max. Not going to happen. The competitive balance luxury tax threshold is going to be $120 million or $220 million or $320 million. One of them is going to happen. Arbitrations after two years, not three, could happen. Minimum salaries, $5 million instead of five hundred grand. No, but there'll be an increase in the minimum salary. So what is it that GMs convinced the owners was going on that caused December 1st to be a deadline? And the answer is the agents. The agents spoke to the owners. They called them directly or said to the GMs, hey, just so you know, my guy's signing right now. We are viewing December 1st as the day. My player doesn't want to go through the lockout with any worry about where he's going to play, how much money he's going to get, doesn't want to worry about the Omnicon or, or like the new strain of COVID, doesn't want to think about any of it. Agents manufacture deadlines when none exist for the sole purpose of getting owners nervous. And we saw nervous owners like we've never seen. But I'm not counting Steve Cohn in this as much as I would like to. As much as I'd like to talk about Steve Cohn negatively, when he deserves it, he deserves it. But Steve Cohn's been busy. They signed three guys. I hope you're excited. They signed Pablo Escobar. They signed Mark Canna. It is not Pablo Escobar. <laughs> that is the drug guy, not him. They signed Starling Marte, the former Marlin, the former A, the best center fielder in the class. They gave him four years, $73 million. Marte had a hard time taking that. He was deciding between that and the three years, 30, that the Marlins offered him. Didn't know which to take. Decided to go 473 with the Mets. The Mets signed three 33-year-olds, and Met fans should be happy. Steve Cohn said he would spend money. You were worried he wouldn't spend money. The richest owner, whatever, doesn't really matter. There's no correlation between rich owners and the amount of payroll they have. None, no matter what you think or say. Don't forget my story that when I started in baseball, the richest owner was Carl Polad, the owner of the Minnesota Twins. Say no more. So Stephen Cohn signs these players. Billy Epler's the new GM. The Mets are having some bats, maybe to replace Conforto, who's a Boris client who's not coming back. Gives them help defensively, offensively, some speed with Marte, some power. Who's going to pitch? The Mets need to find some pitching. So the Mets went all in on Kevin Gausman. Kevin Gausman is the guy who pitched for the San Francisco Giants last year. Kevin Gausman is the guy who was offered a qualifying offer of $18.9 million for 2021 and accepted it because he couldn't get more in the open market. Gausman is the pitcher who has that knee-buckling, breaking stuff. Unhittable last year. The Toronto Blue Jays signed him for five years, $110 million yesterday. Kevin Gausman 
went from a qualifying offer to $110 million. Almost as good as Marcus Simeon, by the way. He went from a $8 million deal to a $175 million deal. And then the Mets released a leak, and believe me, it was the Mets who released it, that they had a better offer for Gausman. I've got a surprise for you. If the Mets offered more money to Gausman, he would have gone to the Mets, not the Blue Jays. But they want to get it out there that they're trying to get pitching. So then they had to start with the next rumor, which they did, which is that they're now the leading contender in the clubhouse to sign Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer's 37 years old. Max Scherzer had a phenomenal year for the Nationals, then traded to the Dodgers. Max Scherzer is an example of a long-term deal with Washington of seven years that is one of the very rare, him and Verlander, the only two I can really think of, where their long-term deals truly worked. And now Scherzer's trying to get a Trevor Bauer-type deal. He's trying to get the highest annual value of all time, but he doesn't need to go long-term because he's 37. He's willing to take two years or three years. And the Mets leak, hey, four years? We'll give you four years. And if you're a Mets fan, this is the prime example. I'm going to be so happy today. I'm going to match Scherzer with DeGrom. Can you imagine a rotation that had like Scherzer and Strasburg and Corbin? That must be good for a team with the best position player in baseball or top five in Juan Soto. But anyway, I digress. A team with Scherzer and Bauer and Kershaw and Bueller and Urias. That's a World Series winning team. Oh, no, it wasn't. I digress. But you put Scherzer on the Mets. You match him with DeGrom, who starts anywhere between 7 and 20 games a year. And the Mets are saying, we got pitching, we got position players, we got better, and I want you to be happy, Mets fans. I really do. I want you to believe that winning the offseason and winning during the regular season are correlated. I want you to believe that Billy Epler has come in as a GM in his first year and immediately changed how they do business, gotten the best players at the best prices. Have the hope today, and we'll talk during the season. And I'm not Mr. Negative. I'm not trying to take away your excitement. I just want to remind you of certain things that will happen during the regular season, which is that all of these teams signing these deals, the majority of them will not have success in October. It was never enough when I was president. I loved winning the offseason. I loved the excitement. I loved the trades, the signings, etc., but for whatever reason, when the team sucked during the regular season, we didn't get the credit for trying. We didn't get the credit for spending. Spend more. Sign better players. Listen to your baseball people more. Is that a criticism that will be levied against these owners right now? How about Rob Manford? What's he doing today? Well, they're negotiating. They're at the table right now negotiating with the union. Today and tomorrow, they're going to have negotiating sessions. The deadline is Wednesday at 11.59. They're not going to literally negotiate up until 11.59 because there comes a point where you realize you've come to an impasse and then you have to have an owner's meeting where you vote on a lockout because you, Rob Manford can't just do a lockout. It's got to be voted on by 23 of the 30 owners and you're not going to do a call at 11.50 p.m. You are going to have a strategy call before that 
to say, here's what we're going to do. Because if there's no agreement by then, that's going to happen. Oh, by the way, there's no agreement by then. The reason I know there can't be an agreement by then is even once you have an agreement on all the issues in the collective bargaining agreement, you then, it takes a week to write it down, then to exchange drafts with the other side, agree on the final language, then the owners need to vote on it, then the players need to vote on it. All of that cannot happen between now and 11.59 Wednesday. Therefore, Rob Manford's schedule today is to have negotiating sessions, confirm the fact that they're in an impasse, then schedule and have an owner's call, which will be leaked, you'll read about it, where on the owner's call there will be a vote, and I promise you they will announce the vote as unanimous. Even if it's not, they'll vote again until it becomes unanimous, and then that's how the lockout will begin. But the owners are also distracted. They're distracted by the fact that they know the lockout's coming, but they want to get as many players signed as they can. I don't know why. I just don't know why. What are the Twins doing, Coca? I can't think of one reason at all that the Twins gave Byron Buxton $100 million over seven years. Byron Buxton is one of the exciting, most exciting players. He may have been a number one overall draft pick, never lived up to the hype, because when you're the number one, number one, to live up to the hype, you have to be Bryce Harper and win multiple MVPs. A World Series ring would be good too. But Buxton has been hurt, consistently hurt. Barely plays more than half the season. How exciting that in this era where crap players like Garcia, not crap, but just not, mid-tier players are getting $14 million. Buxton is an upper-tier player when he plays. And you got him for $14 million? How did you do that? Well, here's the math on how that works when you're negotiating with Buxton. And he only plays half the season. And you offer him an AAV of 14. You say to him, by the way, we're paying you like you're a $28 million player when you play. And we're going to put in all sorts of incentives to get you to $28 million. Actual. We'll give you incentives for winning MVP. Do you know, Coca, that we started that, the point system? I have the contract framed, not in this studio here, but in 2005, when we signed Carlos Delgado, we had to get a special approval from both the union and the commissioner, who was Bud Selig, because we put in escalators for different places in the MVP. You finish in 10th place, we'll give you another 200 grand, but if you win the MVP, we'll give you another several million. I was never happy about that because I wanted the escalators to be for playoff MVPs because I'd rather win playoff series than have a great player win an MVP like happened this year and not make the playoffs with Harper and with, uh, who was the American League? And Otani. But in any case, so we did that sort of deal with Delgado, and he loved it. He thought it was interesting. I remember talking to him and going through the different levels of increases that we'd give him and showing him what kind of year he'd have to have to finish where in the MVP race, comparing it to other players at the time in 05, et cetera. So Buxton got a similar type deal. Here we are 16 years later where he's going to get a whole bunch of money if he finishes MVP. It's sort of like the Patrick Mahomes deal for the Kansas City Chiefs, where if he wins the Super Bowl MVP and the league MVP, he can make up to $450 million. But the Twins signed him 
after trying to sign him all during the regular season. Do you remember when they offered him $70 million for seven years and then they went up to $80 million for seven years? Well, Buxton said, no, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. And he got $20 more million for waiting. That just makes you smart. Let's compare all of the activity at these great numbers. Buxton, Gausman, Berrios. Let's compare that to what the Tampa Bay Rays are doing. I always want to talk about the Tampa Bay Rays because I am infatuated with them, jealous of them. They signed Corey Kluber to a one-year $8 million deal. The Tampa Rays did not give five years to Gausman. They're not going to give seven years to Robbie Ray. They're not going to sign Max Scherzer. They went Corey Kluber. Yeah, the guy who threw the no-hitter last year, the guy who got $11 million from the Yankees for one year on a reclaim who ended up being out for half the year with yet another injury. The guy who's injured half the time, can't perform. That guy? Well, we're going to watch Corey Kluber the entire season. Coca, put in a wait to see here if you don't mind. Corey Kluber, for his $8 million one-year deal from the Tampa Bay Rays, will start more than 20 games. Last year, I had Corey Kluber, won't start more than 20. That was a yes. This year, Corey Kluber will start more than 20 because the Rays know something we don't know. They always did. We can't copy them because we're not as smart as they are. We can't copy them because we don't have the evaluators they have. So therefore, we're going to throw money at names who are coming off the best of their years, and we're going to give them more than market, knowing that the likelihood of those players repeating what they did is de minimis. That's what we're going to do when we're the other 29 teams. But when we're the Rays, we're going to find the players who are going to be better than their contract. That's what I'm talking about. That is the benefit of being the race. So we're going to spend time here for the rest of the day. Today, tomorrow, we'll be around. I'm getting the booster today, Coca, so I may be under the weather because I've gotten under the weather with a high fever after the first and the second dose. Worth it because then magically, deliciously disappears. But I'm still going to be available because Scherzer could sign. I don't want to age the show by the time you're listening to this. Maybe he did sign. There's rumors he's going to sign. Seeger may sign. We may wait till tomorrow. Maybe we'll go live today on the 29th. We'll see. But you know what I will do today? I guarantee it. I will watch a movie or a show. When we come back, we're going to review what could be an Academy Award winning performance by the girl from Adventureland. We'll be right back. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. Hope you had a great weekend, great Thanksgiving. I think today is the final day you should be eating leftovers. At some point, it's enough of that. What is it, trichinine or dopamine or something that comes in Turkey that makes you sleepy? Or maybe it's age and lack of sleep during the night. But I think Monday should be the rule. No more happy Thanksgivings and no more turkey and sweet potato and cranberry. Marshmallows and cranberry. None of that. So if you have leftovers, finish, finish them today. So I watched a movie yesterday that was very interesting to me and uh, saw it in a theater. I want to talk about going back to a theater because I want people to go back to theaters and that is incredibly hypocritical of me to do because I'm not going back to theaters often. There are a few movies that I need to see like Licorice Pizza, like House of Gucci that are only playing in theaters. I wouldn't mind seeing the new Disney movie in Kanto. But the movie called Spencer was just in theaters, except now I could rent it, but I went to a theater and watched it because I wanted to know what it would feel like. And I felt normal. I felt as though there was enough space around me that I wore a mask and I was fine. So will I go back to theaters now more? The answer is yes, it's time. It's time. So Spencer's a movie about Lady Di. If you don't know who Lady Di is, then I'm sorry. Lady Di married Prince Charles as a 19-year-old. Lady Di was in the royal family, had two kings. Two kings, two kids, Harry and William. Harry, who's now married to Meghan Markle, living in the States. William, who's married to Kate, who's going to be the king after Prince Charles becomes the king, who may never become the king because the queen never seems to die. The queen is like 90 years old. The queen is the actual son of the king from the king's speech, the daughter from the king of the king's speech. But Lady Di had a tortured existence, a miserable marriage. Prince Charles was in love with Camille, but wasn't allowed to be with her because she wasn't royalty. So he just was in love and carried on a long time affair. Lady Di was bulimic, depressed, despondent. And this movie was a movie about a Thanksgiving celebration or a Christmas weekend at the royal family's palace somewhere. And how do you cast Lady Di? Well, if you're in The Crown, you find an actress to do it who's going to win a Tony. But if you're doing a movie, you need to find a movie star. Who's the grumpiest, most sullen, saddest movie star you can think of whose default face is sort of pouty? Doesn't have to be 5'10 or 5'9 like Princess Di was. Kristen Stewart, the Twilight actress, the Adventureland actress. Kristen Stewart played Lady Di better than Lady Di played Lady Di. She was Lady Di. The movie does not show tremendous range, but she is favored to win the Academy Award. And the reason why I say it doesn't show tremendous range is that 
it shows Kristen Stewart, in my opinion, being Kristen Stewart, it's the equivalent of me playing Lauren Michaels and not ready for prime time a few years ago. It's not that hard to play a character who I am similar to. Not a lot of acting. So I felt as though Lady Di and Kristen Stewart had a lot in common. That said, she was phenomenal. The movie, to me, was incredibly depressing. We all create the royal family. We all go to Buckingham Palace. We all buy a bunch of tchotchkes with the royal family. We want to watch movies. We want to watch The Crown. We want to pay attention to every piece of gossip with Harry and Meghan and everybody else. Prince Andrew. Every royal family everywhere because to us we say, how cool must it be? That is a grass has to be greener on the other side. And then you realize it's just as brown from every side you're on. So I felt a huge sense of guilt watching Spencer. And the reason I felt that guilt is her misery and despondency was because of the spotlight that we shone upon her. The magazines that we buy with her on the cover. The gossip, the paparazzi who we want to get pictures of her in an ordinary way. Spencer, it's worth checking out. Okay, nothing personal pick of the day. How was your weekend? We had three picks this weekend. I hope you focused on it. I'm going to start on Sunday where we had the Browns losing to the Ravens. Ravens were giving three and a half. Coco was pissed because I said I'd never choose the Ravens. Lamar Jackson throws three interceptions in the first half, turns the ball over four times. And in NFL history, Teams which score 17 points or fewer and turn the ball over four times are 0 and 275. Yet we're giving three points. It's going to be a loss, right? Nope. The Ravens covered Coca. Relax. Slow your roll. That was a win. They won 16 to 10. It was ugly. Friday, we told you the Suns would beat the Knicks by three. They crushed the Knicks. We're 2 and 0. What happened Saturday for the sweep? Jim Harbaugh finally won the big one. For all of you Michigan alums out there calling for Jim Harbaugh's head because he can't beat Ohio State, and I told you there's no way he's going to beat Ohio State, ranked two, going to the CFB, CFP, everything's great. Michigan crushed him. Jim Harbaugh's first big win as a Wolverine. Congratulations. That makes us 2-1, and one, 161 and 144 as we head into the final month of the year where we've been keeping track of all picks of the day for the year, we are 161 and 144. Tonight, there's Monday Night Football, which I'll watch while all the baseball stuff's happening. The Washington football skins are hot. I'm pretty sure they haven't lost in the entire month of November, and today is the last football game in November, and they're playing the Seahawks, whose window of greatness is closed. Russell Wilson being rumored to want to be traded. Remember, he wanted to be traded, but he chose the teams to be traded to. The Seahawks didn't trade him. Now he's back, but the team isn't doing well. Yada, yada, yada. The Seahawks are going to lose tonight. It's an even game. I'm not sure why. I think it's because people don't want to choose the Washington football team. But if I were you, I would choose them. Washington football team over the Seahawks. All right, Coca. Someone had a really good question. You know what I want? (laughs) I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. Thank you 
for getting on Twitter, David P. Sampson, hitting follow. We have fun on Twitter. Thank you. Talking about nothing personal. Tell your friends about nothing personal. We're here almost every day. I think people misunderstood a tweet that I sent the other day, which happens when I was asking for questions for future mailbag episodes. They said, ooh, vacation. Yeah, taking some days in December. Is that okay? Coke is going to Europe in December. Two weeks. Coco, when are you leaving? Is it two weeks from today? It's like December 13th, isn't it? So it's 15 days, so you leave on a Wednesday? Or you leave on a Tuesday, get there on a Wednesday? Do you have any idea when your flight is? You leave Monday to get there Tuesday? That means you're leaving two weeks from today? Coco, two weeks from tomorrow then, because you fly overnight, is going to be in Paris. How excited is Coco? Episode 493, Matt. Remember what happens at 500, folks. The 500th episode, I want to start, I, uh, I want to start promoing it right now, Coca. Okay? I wrote it down. I wrote it down. December 8th. The December 8th episode is the 500th regular episode of Nothing Personal. 500, Coca. That's right, CBS. We made it. 500 on December 8th. And Coca said like 400 episodes ago when I said, do you want to be on, the, on a show? Do you want to talk? What do you want to do? He said, yeah, we'll talk at 500. When he made that offer, there was no chance of 500 because the majority of shows don't make it that long. But we did, so you're going to hear from him. I have no idea what I was just talking about. Oh, so you want to talk to Samson is when you watch a movie called Half-Baked. There's a character named Samson. You ask a question on Twitter, and I'm going to answer it. Hello, David. Hello. I read the article about Bruce Meyer and then read your tweet. Can you explain what Scott Boris has to do with the new agreement? Now, that's a question. If you don't know what that question means, then I have to explain it before I answer it. An article came out in The Atlantic, which is well worth your subscription dollars. Phenomenal writers writing really good pieces in The Athletic. And the article was about a guy named Bruce Meyer. Bruce Meyer is the number two in the Major League Baseball Players Association. He was just hired, maybe a year ago, to assist Tony Clark in this very collective bargaining negotiation. Tony Clark was responsible for the last two collective bargaining agreements, which were decidedly pro-owner, anti-player, and the players said, you can keep your job, but we're bringing in a hired gun. We're finding Sidney Ellen Wade... And we're bringing her in. Bruce Meyer has background in arguing. He has background in not deal-making. He has background in being able to work with players. He's worked with Donald Fear in the NHL, by the way. His background is that he understands what players want, and then he delivers. It's like when you hire a lawyer. There's two types of lawyers when you're hiring and you have a litigation in front of you, some lawyers prefer to settle, some lawyers prefer to go all the way and go to trial. It's like when you go to a doctor and you have a problem with your shoulder or your back, you have to do a scouting report on the doctor because some, some doctors love to cut, some doctors would prefer cutting as a last resort. So it depends what you're looking for. What the Players Association was looking for was a pit bull who was willing to go all the way through a work stoppage and not stop until he got what he wanted. And so this article was a 
puff piece, if you will, about Bruce Mayer and about all of his his background, why he was hired, what he's done since he was hired, and what can be expected of him as we head toward another collective bargaining agreement. But the key part of the story was actually about Scott Boris. Scott Boris is a friend of the show. Scott Boris has people in the Boris Corp listening to the show, I know for a fact. Scott Boris is an agent who finds a way to get his players signed by preying on unsuspecting octogenarian or desperate owners. I've always given Scott Boris credit of getting money from owners. I have just tried to explain to you that every time he opens his mouth, he's lying. I explained to you that Scott Boris has five players on the executive council of the Players Association. Scott Boris is intimately involved in the negotiation while denying it the entire time. And in this article, it was made painstakingly clear for a reason that I'm going to explain that Scott Boris has nothing to do with collective bargaining, that Scott Boris is not telling his players what to do, that Scott Boris is not involved in the strategy, that Scott Boris is a backseat guy. Scott Boris hasn't been backseat to anything in his entire life. But why is it important for Bruce Mayer to have an article out there where in the article it talks about Scott where there is denial of what his role is? Because one of the things that happens in collective bargaining is not just the players have to sign off on the deal, but also agents do, but not officially. Agents aren't part of the union, but agents hold so much sway over their players and agents whose names you may not know because they don't spend time trying to get headlines. They represent the best interests of their clients. So when a collective bargaining agreement is about to be voted on, they get a copy of the agreement. They read the copy, they speak to their players, and they advise their players what they should do. During the course of negotiation, the players go to their agents and talk about different provisions, different arguments that are happening, and the agents give their word of advice, and then players discuss it, and that is how players come to a decision as to whether or not they're going to approve or not approve a deal point and then the overall deal. It is critical when you need a vote to get a vote of not just Boris players. And there's all sorts of players who don't get represented by Boris who are going to be a part of this process when it comes to the vote time. And the union is very aware that all the agents in baseball who represent all the players other than Boris dislike Boris as much as the commissioner at Central Baseball and as I do. And I don't mean him personally, while I do know Scott Boris personally. I'm talking about dislike him and his role in baseball. You can't piss off the other agents when you need them to get a bargaining deal done. And the way to do it is by getting the word out there that, hey, Boris isn't running this show. We are as the union, as the management who you hired in Clark and Mayer. The problem is the other agents know it's not true. I've spoken to four agents in the past month, I'd say. And it's not as though they are surprised that Boris's players make up the majority of the executive council. 
They are not surprised when Boris takes the microphone during GM meetings or winter meetings and talks the way he talks. They're not shocked. They're not jealous. They're not angry. They are resigned. They're resigned to the knowledge that they will always play second fiddle publicly to him. However, there's one time every five years where they won't. Every five years, meaning when you have a new CBA. There's one time when you're right now, when you're negotiating that CBA, when the other agents in baseball don't want him to be the voice or the guy getting the PR or the one who's pulling the strings. So there is an incredible amount of tension amongst the owners, which can cause tension amongst the players. And as a player's union, the last thing you want when you're negotiating is tension amongst your rank and file. You want cohesiveness. You want togetherness so you can get a deal agreed to, negotiated, and then passed. It's what Rob Manfred has to do with 30 people, but the Tony Clark-Bruce Meyer combination has to do it with almost a thousand people. So what fascinated me about that article was the positioning of Boris. What's real? You know what's real. Okay, wait to see. Wait to see is when I say things are gonna happen and when they do happen, we'll revisit it. When they don't happen, we'll revisit it. So we keep track on a spreadsheet. I have a bizarre way to see. We had it. We had one earlier today, Coca. Did you put it in the document so we can put it on the spreadsheet? Care not remember what it was, but it was earlier in the show. I said, let's wait to see. It is, oh, Kluber will get over 20 starts. Yes. Thank you. Well, I've got another one. I don't know how we're going to know this is true, but I'm going to give you a list of players. Kevin Gausman is one. Sean Jose Berrios is two. Those are the two Blue Jays. Byron Buxton is three. Marcus Simeon is four. And I'm going to add any player. Nah, we'll just leave it at those four for now. We'll do other wait to sees after. Here's my wait to see. Not one of those players will be on the team they signed with on the last day of their contract. Not one. Buxton won't be on the Twins. Gausman won't be on the Jays. Jose Berrios will not be on the Jays. Simeon won't be on the Rangers. I guess we're going to be somewhere in seven years, Coca, God willing, right? Where are we going to be, whether it's CBS or another platform? We'll still be doing nothing personal or some show somewhere because we love doing it and you love and we appreciate all of your loyalty. So we're going to keep track. And the way we keep track is I do it by having a spreadsheet of contracts. And I did this when I was with the Marlins. And we would tickle, it's called. That's what my assistant Beth calls it when she's got a tickler, it's called, which is when every year on a certain date, you look at a certain document and you file it, but somehow there's a reminder in the tickler to look at something on a particular day. In any case, we would keep track of certain free agent deals that were signed and we would follow them each year to say whether they were good deals or bad deals. We will follow Gausman, Berrios, Simeon and Buxton, and we'll be back to you in seven years. It's a long-term wait to see. 
A lot of scared money was spent. But that's how to get good, I guess. We'll see what happens the rest of the day. Get ready. That's it. That's the show. It's a lot of business this weekend. If you haven't signed yet, don't worry. You will. It's nothing personal. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.